Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we learn about the people that are on the front lines delivering and protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and today I am pleased to have Rich Temple, VP, CIO at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. Welcome to the program. Tell us about your current role in the organization. Sure, I'd be happy to. Again, thank you for having me today. My name is uh, Rich Temple. I'm the Vice President, Chief Information Officer, and also the HIPAA Security Officer for Zabora Heart and Lung Center. We're an 89-bed specialty hospital in the wilds of Southern New Jersey. And yes, there are wilds here in New Jersey, no matter <laughs> what people may think. I see them out my window. Um, one of the things that's unique about us, other than the fact that we have really outstanding quality scores in our cardiovascular specialty areas, is that we are one of three hospital systems in the country that don't balance bill patients. There's St. Jude's, there's Shriners, and there's us. And what makes that so appealing is that it's really imbued into everybody's DNA that this is what we do. We, there's no, we say there's no price tag on life, and mm -hmm. we take care of everybody, and we give them all excellent care if they're in a, in a position of needing our services. Throughout my career, I've always been involved in healthcare in some form or fashion. I started out as a bill collector, actually, believe it or not, for over, overdue hospital bills. And then I was presented with the opportunity to acquaint myself with the world of computers. I'm dating myself here in a big way. And I got to inject technology programming and data modeling into a solution that would identify third party in a coverage information for hospitals who may not have had it. It was run automated, it ran processed thousands of records on tapes back in the day. And I never looked back. I just went on from there. You know, I think healthcare is like the Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like. But you can <laughs> you know, I love that reference. Oh, that's the first. I love it. Okay. You're in. And I've sort of combated uh, from different angles over the course of my decades in the yeah. uh, business. I was a provider. I was a vendor. Then I was a consultant, mm. provider, then a consultant. And now I'm back on the provider side again. So really exciting stuff. Like I said, it's very, I don't, I have no desire to get out of it, but it really does suck you in and just consume you because it's just something which is so impactful and ever-changing and ever-fascinating. Yeah, and that shared mission is unlike any other industry. We're all patients. We all know patients. And it becomes personal. And having that shared mission between providers and the ecosystem, whether you're a vendor or you're post-acute or you're a consultant or providing some level of service or product to healthcare, it really matters. And it's unlike any other industry I've ever worked in. It really does. That's everyone who is working their magic here within healthcare has to be able to wake up in the morning knowing that they made a difference in some way right. positively in somebody's life the day before. Yeah. And I noticed, like you said, you'd spent time as a vendor over a decade. You were at McKesson for a while. How, how does that prepare you? And what perspective did that bring you, basically, or give you when working on the other side? One of the nice things about having been on the vendor side originally is I got to experience the worlds and cultures of many different health systems mm -hmm. throughout my career. I wasn't stuck in one particular place. I didn't see just one thing. I um, got to touch a lot of different places, and I got to touch a lot of places in many different types of settings, what kinds of 
problems were we here to solve? Was it a revenue cycle issue? Was it clinical optimization? Was it even doing a search and selection for a new EHR? That was a big thing back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I guess to some extent still is. Um, so there were so many different types of work that needed to be done in so many different types of places. Being a vendor and being a consultant really opened my eyes and imbued me with, I think, a sixth sense as to perhaps what might work where under different, different types of circumstances. Yeah, that's great. Give you the agility and resilience, right? To look at the problems in several different ways, not just one, one of sure. Yeah. What, how did you get into healthcare initially? Well, back in college, I started out as a computer science major and then I, uh, I took a programming class. I did well in that. And then I, the next class they gave me was machine language, sabo language. Sabo, rather. Yeah. Yeah. I did that for all of two weeks. I had no idea what they were talking about. So I went to, I got a poli-sci degree and went to grad school, but never got far away from the idea of technology. But healthcare and technology fused in my mind because I had gotten a job working in uh, hospital collections. And then I had the opportunity to work for a company called HMS, which was the company where they would maintain databases of third-party insurance information and we'd get tapes from different hospitals that were extracts from their system and right. pulling that together. And it, I just, no, I never turned back. Yeah. That was, yeah. that became my world and I, my cocoon and I stayed in it. Cool. So as you think about the next couple of years, what are your top couple of three, three to five priorities that you're focused on over the next 24 Ooh, months? We've got lots of priorities. Bet, very, very, very busy times and very, yeah. very changing times. A couple off the top are patient engagement. Mm -hmm. Consumerism really has hit the healthcare space. We've been talking about it for a long time. We've seen it hit in incremental ways, but it's really hitting now. And uh, we have to be able to provide a mechanism for patients and their families to reach out to us in ways that go beyond picking up a telephone and waiting on hold and being bounced around. So we're, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hate to, I think the term digital front door is sometimes overused, but I think it is in some case largely pertinent here, but even just finding ways of optimizing the workflows, even right. if they call in, maybe you can route them and you can route them to a, a text conversation, let them fill out their forms online or from their cell phones or whatever, and just make their life so much easier. So when they do arrive here, it's less traumatic and less stress-inducing for them. They got everything they need done, done. We took care of them. We didn't make them say the uh, same information five different times, that's that sort of thing. So that's a big one for us is really making our patients want to do business with us and making sure that as we have a need to communicate with them, that we're doing it in just the way they want us to do it, not over-communicating, not under-communicating, the, the Goldilocks version of communication, just right. Yeah. So we want that. So that's a patient engagement's a big one. Of course, the AI, artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. is a big one, too. And that's the tricky one because it's so new. Everyone is trying to dip their toe in the water on this. But we want to be able to find use cases for AI that are going to be viable, mm -hmm. that make sense, that are ethical, that provide accurate information. They don't have bias. They promote equity and certainly fully protect the privacy of the security and privacy of individual mm -hmm. patients. So we're looking at a number of different uh, potential use cases, both from a clinical perspective, as well as from an operational perspective, things that we could do to streamline and automate tasks. Staffing continues to be a challenge in healthcare, not just us, everybody. And to the extent that we're able to do more things with technology through automation, we're not looking to reduce staff, but we're looking to have staff work on the kinds of things that are uniquely suited for a human to do. So right. that's a real big one for us. And of course, taking advantage of 
all of the potentially great things that could happen with AI, even something like being able to have AI analyze medical images and maybe see something see something or recognize a pattern that could lead to something that maybe a radiologist wouldn't be able to see because it was so microscopic or so buried right. somewhere. Right. That right. Kind of thing. And I would be lying, of course, if I didn't also say that cybersecurity no, is there it is. the center of everything we do. We live in a very, very crazy Thank world. Thank you, Rich. I know you, <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? Yeah, I was that. hoping. <laughs> exactly. How do we continue to keep right. our users educated on phishing scams, on other scams, mm -hmm. on social yeah. engineering? How do we also make sure that our network engineers here at Deborah are being able to harden our front door as much as possible so people who bad guys can't even knock at the front mm -hmm. door and those that they attempt to, we know who they are. How do we stay ahead of that curve? So it does all, and as we've all heard a lot, it only takes one person making an errant click and really bad things can happen. There's a very big human components to our cybersecurity program, but there's also a program, there's also a component that's looking at managed detection, potential remediation mm -hmm. plans, uh, looking at the what's wrong with this picture for behavioral heuristics. Oh, gee, this machine never sent anything overseas before. Why is it doing it now? That sort of thing. Anything you've learned about getting clinicians to have better hygiene, cyber hygiene? around security or anything you can share with listeners? I think the world around us has contributed meaningfully toward um, allowing physicians to do that. The fact that you have to do multi-factor authentication for almost everything helps. Mm -hmm. We have extensive education in terms of phishing scams, in terms of count to 10 before you click on anything. Mm -hmm. Be slow and contemplative and deliberative as you're going through your emails. Just don't look at everything and react to everything. Right. And some of that's sinking in, and the physicians hear enough about what happens out there if there is a ransomware attack mm -hmm. or if their data gets compromised. There's enough real-world body of work out there that they've heard about that they've gotten better. So I, is there room for improvement? There certainly is, not just with physicians, mm -hmm. with everybody, but we're finding people are improving. That's and good. We recently, my, my department, I was one of the folks there, but my department hosted a booth at a at a nursing fair for a couple of different days. And we went through, we showed people a fake fish, and a fake phishing email and said, I'll find all the things that are wrong with it. And I was amazed at how well people really wow. engaged on this. So and we always have our work cut out for us because the bad guys are always one step ahead of us yeah. and we have to react to them. But I, I'm feeling like uh, the general awareness and the general receptivity to making small operational sacrifices mm -hmm. to keep everything locked down and uh, avoid compromises. I think that's really there. It's getting a lot better. That's great. You've got a lot on your plate. What keeps you up at night? Well, that does. <laughs> <laughs> We've had incidents fairly close to home mm. and it really does not that any of us didn't know the consequences and the egregious inconvenience and the egregious potential safety concerns that can happen that when there's an attack, but having it hit close to home, I think it just reinforces that all the more. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we're acutely aware that the bad guys are buzzing around and we just want to be extra careful. Yeah. Tough couple of years for folks during the pandemic. What are you personally or professionally most proud of? We came out the other side. Mm. I think that's a winner. We were able to react at warp speed when the pandemic hit. Mm. Things that would take a much longer time to be evaluated and to be analyzed and to be reviewed and vetted. We didn't have a choice in some cases, and we were able to bring telehealth live almost immediately. We had mm -hmm. a very small program before. We made it much bigger when we had to. And 
and we, we just did it. Everybody rolled up their sleeves and yeah. got it and everybody yeah. did it in as safe a way as you possibly could in the environment that we're in. Everybody was on board. Everybody gave the extra yard. We really pulled together as an organization. Yeah. And I'm immensely proud that uh, we did that. I'm immensely proud that I was part of that and I could help. It's, it was a very tough time, but it also made you realize that, hey, we can do this. When adversity knocks on our door, we can do what we have to do to get through. Yeah, no, I think it was incredible to watch the industry respond that way and make decisions at a pace that just is not. And it's just not usual for healthcare, especially yeah, as it relates to technology. We're not used to that. No, we're not <laughs> used to that. <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. Um, that's the bar now. That's you know, the, that is the bar. Well, what do you mean you can't turn this around in 24 it's hours? A good point, though. I mean, did you take back from that experience and make changes to decision making from then? Somewhat. Yeah. I think a lot of what we did to get from point A to point B as our world was collapsing around us, we blazed through and mm -hmm. uh, we had to. I think now that I wouldn't say things are perfectly stable, but now that things are more stable, I think we're, and to our credit too, we, we've learned a few things in terms of how to move things along, sure. but we also now have the opportunity again to do more due diligence on things and uh, do wise due diligence. So we're not, let's, I think we're less likely to go down rabbit holes if we realize that a lot of this is urgent. And, yeah. uh, some of what we're doing now still really stems from the consequences of what happened during the pandemic. So we want to learn what we want to learn from what we're able to accomplish on very, very short notice. Um, but we also don't we, we don't want to revert. We don't want to revert to just blasting everything through. We still have to make sure we're balancing the need to move with the need for due diligence. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Outside of healthcare and outside of IT, what are you most passionate about? What would you be doing if you were, were doing this job? Probably going to a lot of concerts. I'm a big live music person. Oh, me too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So do tell. What was the last concert you went to? The last concert I went to was the Squirrel Nut Zippers in Philadelphia. I oh, saw yeah. that. I love the Squirrel Nut Zippers. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I run the gamut. I like a lot of alternative stuff, but I um, me too. also love going to blues clubs and jazz clubs. And, oh, uh, me too. I did uh, do a little bit of mosh pit action for a guy in his advanced years. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> hey, we're, hey, we're, we're holding up our industry here. <laughs> I, I used to hang out at the equivalent of the CBGB in Boston called the Ratskeller. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I spent a lot of time there and yeah. I have the bruises. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I hung out, I, I'm a New Yorker. I actually hung out at CBG. Yeah. So. Oh, <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I saw some great bands like for the first time. The Pixies before they oh, were yeah. even launched, REM, just oh. incredible opportunities. That's great oh, that's that you better. got into the mosh pit and you've slam danced, as we used to call it. Yep. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. The more, the more colorful side of my yeah. persona. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I also, I like, I love jazz and I love rock and, and all types of different music and alternative. I've seen The Cure and The Smiths and oh, nice. uh, huge, huge fan, but I'm, my, one of my first loves are oh, these guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so I, and I've been following with the, when they came together with John Mayer and the Dead and Company. And I saw uh, that, I saw that a couple of times. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. I saw yeah. Fish fairly recently. Like, you did? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. How about yes. Goose? Do you know Goose? The, just the next generation of fish and I don't the actually. No, yeah, they're a jam band. They're fantastic. Check them out. Oh, yeah. Check that out. Absolutely. Goose. 
pigeons playing ping pong. Do you know them? <laughs> Who's that? Pigeons, pigeons playing, playing ping pong. Yes, pong. Uh, yeah, of that's... course. They're great. I yeah. saw them at Levitate, a uh, local show, local festival here in uh, South Boston, south of Boston. Oh, well. Wow. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, that's very yeah. cool. Oh, we got some overlap there. <laughs> we, we do, we do. Yeah, my yeah. my kids are my source now for new music, so there's they just turned me on to Noah Khan. Do you know Noah Khan? I'm going to be seeing Noah Khan at festival down in Atlanta. Uh, I know and, the festival, yeah. I was just sent it. Yeah, I just yeah. got to, I got tickets. Yeah, that. that's fantastic. My kids have seen him several times, and... Uh, yeah, big, big fan. Like when he was just coming up and small, played small venues. And he's yeah, he really, came out, kind of came out of nowhere. All he of a did. <laughs> he came out of nowhere. And I remember having my, my, my youngest daughter, she just graduated from Stevens Institute. Talk about New Jersey, oh, Hoboken. Yeah. And so she's like, ah, I got this new guy. I really like him. Noah Khan. I listened to him. Like, it's pretty good, actually. He's got this troubadour sound, yeah, contemporary. And she started going to shows and she's like, dad, I want to go to more shows. Like, go to the show seriously like go to the show you should prioritize it now because you're never gonna get the time back and she's been following him around i think she's gonna like and oh 10 wow shows so she yeah. seriously yeah. into it that's cool to watch too but no the, that's great the next generation following in your the next generation. <laughs> yeah so oh that's good i was just out in salt lake city and i went to see the tabernacle choir during rehearsal have you ever been yeah it was really Oh, it was just majestic. It was, and they were, it was the music obviously was just amazing. It just like, just spine tingling, but watching them practice in the process, calibrating the choir with the orchestra and, oh, it was just fantastic. None of those things happen by accident. No. You got to see the sausage being made. Yes. <laughs> and I've never seen it being made at that level before. Wow. It was really, really cool. So if you could go back in time. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? I'd say be myself. Ah. 25 was a long time ago for me, actually. Wait, you, so I, there was a time when you weren't yourself, Rich? Come on. I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that. Sometimes you are, sometimes you have to adopt a bit of a corporate persona just to be able to mm. get through the day. And I think that's okay to do, to conform to expectations of corporate decorum, but don't hesitate having people see the real you. Yes. I mean, show enthusiasm. I think enthusiasm is contagious. Let people know who you are without their obviously limits on that. But, yeah, but yeah. by and large, don't, don't be an automaton. If there's something a little quirky about you, embrace it. And just uh, remain, always be professional, always make sure right. that your work is speaking for itself. Have fun in the office as be, much as you can. Be Chris yeah. Logan. Oh, yeah. There's a good example. <laughs> <laughs> He's very shy about Mutual things. fans of Chris Logan's, <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> well, I have to ask you this question. I'd be remiss. This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. What's the riskiest thing you've ever done? Oh, boy. Okay. I've done a lot of silly things. I think stage diving, since we're uh, while we're on that topic, I stage actually tried that. That's tried, pretty risky. I tried that at a, a concert in Cleveland. I was watching everybody, and I said, I want to try that. And I ran up on the stage, and I jumped through the air, and what a rush. And I'm flying through the air, and everybody caught me and passed me around. And yeah. then put me down. I was like, this is great. I'm going to go do it again. So I ran back up on the stage. I jumped into the crowd. And the next thing I knew, I was lying on the ground with a splitting headache. Um, I don't think anybody caught me. No, oh, I've never had that happen, but I have dived in and that rush of that moment where you realize if someone doesn't catch me, I'm in trouble. Like this is just, and then when it happens, it's amazing. Like that feeling of getting passed around. 
I hadn't, mm. it hadn't occurred to me that I might not get caught. <laughs> but from that point forward, it did. <laughs> it was probably the last time you dove yes, in. Yes, it was. It was a rush to be able to feel oh. that. But um, oh. Well, yeah. speaking of rush, you're on an album, you're on an island. What are the top five albums you would bring with you? Oh, boy. It doesn't have to be one. <laughs> I'd have to have an early Clash album, oh. I think. Yeah. The Green, the first one? Could be, yeah, that oh, one. it's great. Um, great album. You heard the Stiff Little Fingers. Yes, you know, I know the Stiff Little Fingers. Yeah. One, one I adored when I was yeah, young. Yeah, that's good. Um, they're possibly my favorite album of all, time, of all time. Got very little recognition. It was an album by a singer songwriter called Tony O.K. called Life in the Food Chain. It is the most wall the most musically huh. brilliant and off-the-wall album you've ever heard. And I guess there was an urban legend that he had recorded it right after he got out of a mental institution. And I think we're all saying he must have been on an HMO. I think he was discharged prematurely because he still had a little bit of it. I, it's an urban legend. I don't think it's true, <laughs> but there's so much mania on this album. And there's so many lyrics. The lyric sheet has got to be longer than anything you've ever heard. It is a classic. And it really never got the due that it deserved. But I want to have that. There are times I just have to sit down and listen to that album and and what else would I? Wow, there's so many. I probably need yeah, to have some yeah. New Orleans brass band music. Oh, like good. Brass band. I like yeah, that. Good. Yeah, good. So it's yeah. Those are good. Those are good albums. I'll join you on your. There we go. <laughs> How about your movies? You into movies? Uh, I am uh, movies. Airplane. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, that, on a desert. If I'm, I'm on a with desert you island, now. I'm, I'm with you. Definitely. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Airplane or jo any John Waters movie. Oh, yeah. John Waters. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I found myself and my brother constantly uh, quoting Airplane and other movies. Oh, that so, genre. It's one of those. It's so <laughs> totally quotable. <No. laughs> Last question before we wrap up. What advice do you have folks that are coming into IT, coming into healthcare, maybe pursuing a cyber profession, uh, cybersecurity profession? Please do it. Mm -hmm. I know there's such a there's such a need for cybersecurity professionals. I, I think of it through the prism of healthcare, but it's not merely for healthcare. There's such a need, and there just aren't enough people coming through. Stick with it. Think it, think of it as something fascinating. I think oftentimes the world of cybersecurity can feel like it's a very forbidding world, mm. and you have to know all these acronyms, and you have to have the sophisticated engineering background to do that. And that's true for some professions within cybersecurity, but a lot of it is really social in nature, and a lot of it is educating people, and a lot of it is just building good user hygiene and helping people achieve that. So don't be intimidated by cybersecurity. Recognize there's a real need for you. Your skills are in demand and your skills, um, the skills that are required, I think are much more diverse and not necessarily as technically complex as one might think. So don't give up the ghost, do it. And get into healthcare because healthcare is something that we talked about at the outset is just so impactful. So impactful. Get in here, what you're doing makes such a difference. You're saving lives. Even if you're not laying hands on patients, you are saving lives because you're helping those who are. And it's immensely gratifying. And do it. <laughs> that's my Excellent. Advice. Excellent do advice. It it. No, that's terrific, Rich. <laughs> I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And we've been talking to Rich Temple, the VP and CIO of Deborah Heart and Lung Center. Rich, it's been fantastic to have you on the program. Thank you so much, sir. Well, thank you for having me. And if you are... On the front lines, delivering patient care or protecting patient safety, remember, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. 
Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thank you.